0: And welcome to this supplementary bonus episode of The Agents' Angle. Many of you will be listening to this following listening to episode 15 of the show from the 22nd of October 2023, where we were joined by senior football news reporter from the athletic Matt Slater. So make yourself comfortable as we bring you the full interview with Matt from episode 15, featuring some philosophical football discussion, as well as examining many aspects, views and opinions of the football agents industry, as well as the wider football world. So at this point, I would like to welcome to the agent's angle, Matt Slater, who is a senior football news reporter for The Athletic, which for me is probably one of the most reliable sources for football news and aspects relating to the football agents world. Before joining The Athletic, Matt spent 16 years with the BBC and then three years as chief sports reporter for the Press Association. Now, for those who are more interested in football gossip, transfer speculation, manager rants and scorelines, they may not be readily aware of Matt's work. As I would say, he digs a lot deeper than gossip, researches the material, seeks out different perspectives and tries to offer a balanced and fair approach. He's covered stories from football finance to player data, club takeovers and club collapses, Saudi Arabia to Ukraine, FIFA to independent regulators, and of course, a significant amount of work on agents. Matt is also a key contributor on many sports related documentaries and films. And for anyone who hasn't seen the BT sport film on the Bosman story, Matt is a key contributor to probably one of the biggest stories affecting the football world and the agents industry. He's also an ardent football fan, so isn't removed from fellow supporters. Mm. But we won't go into that topic at this time for certain reasons. But hopefully, there is some light on the horizon. Matt, welcome to the agent's angle.
1: Well, thanks for having me. You should be my agent, Jonathan. That was that was lovely.
0: Yeah, but I'm capped at the moment, so um, no, that, that. that's probably a bit of a problem there. <laughs> um, As hopefully I've highlighted there, Matt, your work goes way beyond what happens on the pitch for 90 minutes or even 105 minutes. Yeah, yeah, whatever we're up to these days. With stoppage time nowadays. Yeah. But... Much like what we try to do with this show is look beyond transfer speculation and big money deals. Now, investigative journalism is a significant aspect of your work. Hmm. Could you share one experience or story from that reporting in the football world that had the greatest impact on you?
1: Oh, um, that's a good question. Well, I've, I've been doing it a while, so I'm. Ooh. Well, I'll just do. I'll do a recent one then because it's just fresh in the mind. Me and a colleague called Phil Buckingham have been working for about a year now, just keeping an eye on Scunthorpe United. So I guess this is an example of of what you were touching on in your intro. We, at The Athletic, you know, obviously we do follow the really, really big stuff. Of course we do. You know, we'd be mad not to, but we do have a big staff and we have, I think, a bit more time and a bit more focus because it is very, very focused on football, certainly the UK operation of The Athletic to look further afield and deeper and further down the pyramid where there's some amazing stories and Scunthorpe united are just an example of that just for people that know nothing about Scunthorpe united it's it's a town in the north of england that has the same pros and cons as as, as many other sort of towns in, in in northern england or other countries in the world where the economy shifts and, and 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 you know the economy moves and but the football team is incredibly important the sports team is incredibly important to that community and they, you know, they're, they're not a big team. They're much cher- much loved by their local community. They've, they've been up and down the, the ladder. They've had some great players in the past, some great moments. But the, right now, they're at a low. And um, they've been pretty badly managed for a few years. They've lost a lot of money. And they've fallen through the divisions. They're in the sixth tier of English football. They got relegated last season. And there's been a change of ownership and heavily indebted. They got bought in January, got bought by a guy. Uh, a property developer, I won't get to too much detail because it's a long old story, but but we we were looking at the club anyway because they had previously been well run and they got as high as the second tier of the championship and they'd lost a lot of money. And the previous owner was quite an interesting guy in that he had basically a gambling problem and lost a lot of money gambling on horse races and, and casinos in Vegas and, and was almost, you know, was running out of cash. Um, and that kind of... Accelerated the decline of his football club. Um, he had some business uh, is- issues as well, and it was all just a bit of a car crash. And uh, long story short, it led him, I think, to make a very bad decision. He basically, in in, my, in our view, sold to a guy who should be nowhere near football clubs. A guy who who we believe is is you know has has criminal intent, um, a convicted fraudster. Which he had not disclosed, guy that had used four different aliases during his career, no obvious evidence of his finances, you know, a, a string of failed companies or companies that had never posted any results, never posted any 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 accounts, and a sort of string of of kind of allegations and claims about, about his business dealings. And he bought Scumthorpe for peanuts. The key part of the deal was the ground, as is so often is the case, the property, the land assets, and that deal collapsed. He got control of the club, poured money onto the pitch, got the fans on side, got them winning again, but stopped paying bills. And his relationship with the previous owner collapsed and they have been fighting in the courts all around the land. The land was the key bit. That was the bit that had the value. Um, and it all unraveled and it unraveled. We reported his past, which was quite tricky to do. Lots of legal pushback. Um, It got quite heated between him and us um, and a large part of Scumthought's fan base who had basically been taken in by him. You know, he had restored joy for them. You know, after seasons and seasons of losing and having this very unpleasant relationship with the previous owner, this guy, if nothing else, made them win. And that, was enough for many fans what we were trying to point out to them was that this is a classic out of frying pan into fire situation and if you are not careful this new owner is going to kill your club the last guy has seriously endangered your club and made you very fragile and vulnerable but this guy is bad news and will you know drive you over the cliff and i and i genuinely believe that's that's what was going to happen i think it's what we've stopped as well so the, the end of the story is basically that we reported what we reported. He admitted it. His relationship then with the fan base just exploded in lots of different ways. He didn't react to very well. He's got a very bad temper, um, and he's he's sold the club. He sold the club quickly, and and you know there are various investigations going on right now into his conduct over the last few months. But that club, I I believe, now have the chance they should have had eight nine months ago with a. Local owners who've got lots of things to do, but they are the right people, certainly the right intentions, uh, and you know I think that club has a has a future now. It's going to be it's going to be difficult, but they have a future. So that's that's an example of a, of a piece that I think made an impact, and you know, fingers crossed.
0: I think that highlights the importance of, shall we say, owners and directors tests and mm. tests of good character and making sure the right people are involved in the game. Now, some agents, whether founded or unfounded, fall under that categorization as well. And we have the test of good character within certain regulations, but also there's some common misconceptions about football agents and the normal stereotype, shall I say, in your reporting, when you report in relation to football agents, how do you address those stereotypes and those misconceptions?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I, mean, I should probably add that obviously the you know the guy in question denies you know, many of many of the things that we've put to him. He's never he doesn't give a very good explanation as to why, but he just denies it. He's denied it strongly. So you know we shall see. And as I say, there are some investigations ongoing. Um, your your question about agencies is, is, is bang on. Um, there are a lot of. Um, Ideas and preconceived ideas about about agents. I mean, I don't I don't mean to upset you you two, but when you think about sort of unpopular groups in football, um, it, it, it's you lot and it's it's us lot. It, it's sort of just journalists, agents, you know, referees, that sort of thing. You know, we're, we're you know we're, we're the bad guys. Um, and it's funny whenever we've written, whenever I've written, or any of my colleagues have written about agents. Particularly if it's sort of a kind of governance, uh, you know, a, a regulatory change, you know, like the stuff you've been doing loads of podcasts about. The world's smallest violin springs to mind. You know, there there is very little sympathy for you guys, um, and there is this idea that you are all coining it in and you're taking money out of the game. That's that, that comes up again and again and again from from administrators, but and from clubs and owners, investors. And fans, there's this idea that, you know, there's this amount of money, a finite amount of money, and you are taking it out and you haven't earned it. And, you know, what value are you adding? So I think that is your, that's the most fundamental thing to address, right? What value do agents serve? Like, I mean, you know, people can moan about journalists and I can go, oh, yeah, that's good journalists, there's bad journalists. And, okay, that was not a good piece of journalism. But do you, do you kind of agree that we are doing something and then everyone, oh yeah 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 and they'll have a favorite journalist now I like that that was good and oh no absolutely we don't want to take all our information from press releases and club spokespeople yeah of course there's a there's a place for journalists and da, da, da. all right and all right so good okay so we're on a better place so what's that conversation for agents how do we make the case for agents I think that's the interesting thing and sometimes you know you I'm um, being like you lot do you help yourselves? Does anyone try and make the case for journalists? Is there a spokesperson for for, sorry, for for agents? No. You know, the few times where agents really become the story, does that agent then try and sort of think kind of holistically, oh, you know, all right, there's the specifics of this story, but, you know, come on, generally speaking, agents do this, 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 this is why we're here. That doesn't really happen. So, like, who? no one speaks for you guys um which i think is interesting so that that you you have a kind of reputation problem and i think what i would sometimes just okay let's just let's take it right back to sort of basics who are the stars of the show right who are the genuine stars of the show who gets us excited right players to be a great right? about players okay so how what do we want our players to do what do we what, what do we really want us to focus on like being good at football right great we all we all agree that right So we all agree that they're the stars of the show and they should be properly rewarded, right? We all agree on that. And we all agree that we want them to concentrate on being great footballers. So is there not like then an obvious need maybe for someone to help them, for someone to advise them? And can we also then sort of understand, even from our, our own careers, that there is perhaps a time for a third party, for some sort of independent advice in your career, right? And I think then most people would go, yeah, that could be, I don't know, a trade union or... Uh, I don't know, a careers advice person at school or, you know, a relative or whatever it might be. Right. So that, so that most rational, reasonable people can sort of say, right, we, de- we definitely think that footballers are the stars and they should be paid the most or, you know, receive a great big chunk of the wealth that's out there. We can see the need for sort of independent, impartial advice. We're definitely kind of aware of the idea that people could be exploited and people have been exploited in the past. So it's almost like the the, the case for for agents is there. It's it's there, it's always there, but just no one ever voices it because I go the excesses of your industry. So I suppose that's if, if I do anything, if me and I think my colleagues do anything, it is at least to frame any story about agents, at least within a fair context. That no, they do add value. Good agents do look after their clients, good agents do make sure that players aren't exploited and are properly remunerated for being stars and also advise them and handle bits of their lives so that they can like concentrate on being footballers. And if we all agree that that's, those are the starting points, then everything, then there is a place for agents, right? So then we can have a more adult conversation about the role of agents, the scope of your power, the scope of your, you know, how much you should earn, but at least we agree that there is a place for agents in the ecosystem and that there are good agents and bad agents, and we want more good agents than bad agents, right? So if we agree on those things, then I think we can just have a better debate. So that's that's kind of how I approach it.
2: Matt, recently I've noticed a trend where a lot of agents are working with journalists or are close to journalists in order to get some stories out. What information do sports journalists want from agents? Is it exclusive news, a well-sourced background or backstory on a player, quotes, an insider view, or interviews uh what uh, would be what would (laughs) what would be this what would be what would be the narrative they want from an agent to put into a story well i can't
1: speak for every journalist but look the relationship between journalists and agents is is as old as the hills as long as there's been journalists sports journalists and as long as there's been agents they've been talking to each other so that's not new at all i think the, the the new bit is really just the excitement the amount of interest in transfers let's be honest in players moving clubs it, it drives my industry it drives the entire industry it's got to the point now where I've sort of joked I've written pieces where I'm only half joking now w- winning the transfer window doing well at transfer as appears to be as as important as doing well at the football matches and as actually winning things and you know there's lots of you know academic ideas about this you know is it is it sort of the gamification of everything um, you know the rise of fantasy games and uh, football manager that sort of thing you know actually a whole generation of football fans growing up where the name of the game almost literally is is to build squads and these and players have objective values it's not about opinions anymore it's not about well let's just see how they get on together you know do, do they is there any chemistry do they do they play well together no you know I, I listen to my kids now and they and the way they argue about players is a, so different to the way that i argued about players when i was their age you know where it was we were like guessing you'd have favorites they now argue with such conviction because they think what they've seen on a game where a player has six values attached to them is absolute fact and therefore player x is better than player y because he is when they they play the game he, he absolutely is so if you buy player x instead of player y or you get player x for a better you know for a slightly better price than that club bought player y you've won you have won in a way that 30 40 years ago well we'll have to sort of you know ask me at the end of the season we'll see who won no no you know you've won now so i think that's really that's that's different so sorry that's a very that's a long preamble so what what most of my industry wants is they want transfer news they just want tips they want who is who's your player where's your player going who's happy who's not um how much they want transfer gossip and obviously ideally they don't want gossip they want transfer fact news so that 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 is i think the the number one everything else would be a quite a distant second or third i mean i don't really do that so when i if i'm talking to agents it tends to be about this sort of drier story so i i would like people to go on the record and, and explain to me why the FIFA regulations are, are are fair or not fair, how they can be improved. I might want um, someone to explain to me image rights. I might want someone to explain to me um, contract lengths or the tax status of. And I, so I will want an interview. I will want I want like expert insight. But what I do is 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 not typical. Most football journalists want transfer insight or or another one it could be um you know what, what's what's really going on you know i don't know like a club could be in all sorts of trouble and maybe the manager's in difficulty and what what is what's your clients what are your clients telling you about their training sessions you know has, have they lost the dressing room or it could be another one might be team news you know who's in who's out there's a, you know, it's, I was talking to some journalists about this the other day at the big international tournaments you know one of the sort of races one of the games is to get the team to get the england team get the germany team get the italy team whatever it might be well nearly all of that comes from agents you know play their players telling the agents well i was training with the b team or the a team or you know that the last session we did was a set piece session and this looked like the team so i think this is the team you know that, that's that's what that's what most journos want they just want they just want they want the good stuff they want they want the, they want those little nuggets you don't have to go on the record of course you don't because they you know if you if you do you'll get in trouble and you'll be frozen out and you won't, you know, you won't get those stories again. So um, yeah, different journalists have to have different, a different set of demands, you know, uh, desires list or whatever I want. I'm doing different stories and I want you guys to go on the record and provide expert insight into your industry. Most of my colleagues just want you to tell us gossip
2: many top football agencies now have pr or marketing sections there's a growing trend now with a lot of the football agencies they use social media or media releases on their player deals as you mentioned transfer deals to boost the profile of their clients but also the profile of the agency in terms of your research, do you look at those media releases or the social media of agents and agencies in order to prepare stories? Is that part what you follow, or is it more about the plan? And then you find out who their
1: agent is in terms of yeah. following up um, facts on your research. A, a little bit, like it's you know, a time and a place for for that kind of thing. Like I say, I don't I don't do the sort of bog standard agent story, which is which would which would be around transfers. You know, I've done a little bit in the past, but I work with, you know, I, I sort of decided a few years ago that I, that other people do it better, and I, I was more interested in sort of other stories. So I I just stopped doing it. I now work for a company where we've got some of the best in the business at it. So I I have no need to do it whatsoever. It's just be duplication of effort. um And I think those people do that. You know, if that's your speciality, you got to be across everything. You know, you have got to be across social media, what agents are tweeting, who they're following, and some of it is really, you know, quite, you know, what's it, dark arts. It's not dark arts at all. Have they, have they have they stopped following people on instagram that's that that's the number of times that can be a clue as to what's going on uh you know or players changing representation you can often sort of see some changes on their social media so yeah that's that's useful and and you're right as your industry has consolidated and got bigger the number the amount of money that's involved the number of stories the amount of scrutiny on your industry just like any other industry yes suddenly you require pr help as well um so that's definitely something we've noticed and these big big agencies I like, we might get onto it i mean it's, it just seems like one of the trends in your industry this consolidation trend we're talking about big business now we're talking about big multinational cross-border conglomerates you know everything from hollywood movie stars to to nba players and yeah you know having someone to pick up the phone or, or deal with journalists if there's something that's been written that they don't like you know agents are busy too and maybe uh, an agent might be an amazing agent but might not be brilliant at dealing with the media yeah get some professional professional advice there i mean that's you know your your players i'm doing like quote things now as well so your your players so you know you in the industry so you you need you need expert advice as well
2: you mentioned transfers and obviously everyone's interested in transfers the fans mm. the journalists the clubs Sports outlets or papers on websites like The Athletic, The Guardian Football Section, Correo della Sport in Italy, France Football in France, Master in Spain, and I'll even go to Latin America or Lea in Argentina, are fascinated about player transfers and the agents involved. Do you think through this focus, especially as we've seen a lot of mega deals, the EPL being such a phenomenal league, brand, industry, I would call it, has football media created the concept of super agents in terms of the profile they're featured with the agents so the term super agents who's doing the big deals would you say the football media or the journalists have created that concept and now those super agents have become Mm. a name or a brand as much as some players yeah yeah. well
1: well maybe there's there's sort of a kind of a big chicken and egg debate there isn't it whether whether it was whether it was us that dubbed it or and, and and then it became that way you know we sort of kind of picked out a few kind of big big names in your industry and and, and, and that helped them get even bigger or it was just us belatedly realizing no there are some some significant players in your game and um you know we can we can have a debate about the the tag but yeah the the super agent tag was just a recognition that no no the, the industry changed and there are these super powerful people who are who are gatekeepers who are who have a sort of stable of really important clients and they make the weather so I think it's an interesting philosophical debate. Just on the the first bit of your question, I, I think it's I, I, I'm I'm not old enough to know what was going on in the 60s and 70s, but or even I don't really remember what was going on in the 80s. But I mean, certainly in the last 10, 15 years, transfers are just massive. I, I cannot stress to you just anyone that works. Certainly, if you're behind a paywall or if you work online and you're, which is pretty much everyone these days. So you have good data as to who's reading, when they read, what they read, what they share. It's it's transfers. And it's not just football. This is the thing that I think that's really, really important to, to note. The Athletic, of course, is, is, is basically an American company, and we have like fantastic NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball um, guys, reporters too. And what Americans kind of refer to as roster construction, so the draft, free agency these are the milestones in those sports the nfl draft is probably the biggest thing the Athletic does nba draft and maybe summer transfer window will be next the big free agency windows the dates would be would be next the winter transfer. Though, though honestly they are like the calendar items in a way that i don't know journalists 20 30 years ago first game of the season third round of the fa cup uh, what's going on in the you know, for, for a, an organisation like the athletic it is these big roster construction moments. We have people who only work on the NFL draft all year. The NFL draft takes place over a weekend, but it is a year-round job for one of my most famous colleagues. We have a, probably our best-paid journalist is our NBA trade expert. You know that's just the way it is. That's just the fact. The most followed journalists by a bloody mile on social media. The draft is by a mile. It's not even gross. The draft is fascinating.
0: I find it absolutely fascinating. It's like a soap opera. Yeah, It really is. And then you get the plot twist at last minute because one person does one thing and then it totally
1: changes it and flips it on its head. I think it's it's fascinating. fascinating. And and why do you think that has become so big and so exciting? And And I think it boils down to hope. And we all want hope. Why do we like sport? Things like the draft and the summer transfer window are perfect. Nothing's gone wrong yet unless you didn't get the player you wanted. But for most fans, it's like, oh, we got some players. This is wonderful. I can now look forward. I can now look ahead. Oh, right, and then, oh, God, we're, 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 we're as bad as we were last year. Oh, dear. Oh, but it comes around again. This is, I think, the beauty of American sport, that they do really well, this, this built-in competitive balance where the bad teams get the first pick of talent. Hope springs eternal. You are not doomed the the smallest market team the worst team can they don't always do it can if they get two or three years of draft picks right be good that is hope isn't it that's that's what keeps you coming back so but you know I think that's I think you know transfers and and drafts are honestly what make what make this make this industry go around.
2: Yeah, I've also seen it with this that concept now of a timer and the deadline yeah, yeah, day yeah. of transfers for the transfer window, which they try, as you say, the Americans do it very well. They're trying to bring that narrative or that that idea yeah, yeah. or that excitement, I should say, with deadline day with uh, close of the summer transfer window. If you could describe Matt, the football agents' world and industry in one word right now, Ooh. what would it be and why? it's one of our seminal questions we ask a lot of All our right, well, guests, okay. but grey
1: one word grey grey guys in vague and i'm going with grey just because it's a it's a very broad right uh, range of activities that you guys do there's so much going on there's good bits there's bad bits and 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 it is you are you are in the the margins you are in the shadows um for the reasons i sort of said at the beginning like you, you very people very rarely come out there's not an agent spokesperson that explains what's going on. So if we would, if we would sort of compare you to like VAR and, and and refs, which which have also been a little bit grey and in the margins, we've had this great big kind of two-week-long debate about what happened in that game, Liverpool-Spurs, Spurs-Liverpool. And, and you know, last night, was it Howard Webb was, was was on and he was sort of still talking about it. Said, so there was a kind of conclusion to it. Whether it's a conclusion or not, I don't know. But someone did eventually come out and explain and there has been a change the protocol has changed we're going to we saw that even the following the the following weekend the way that match officials and, and the var will speak to each other so there is there's sort of a bit of a resolution there it's less gray if you know what i mean you guys are still gray you guys i think maybe that's just the way it should be maybe that's the way it's designed to be maybe you know we don't want to hear from you we're not we shouldn't hear from you you know your job is to be in the background your job is to be conciliaries to players and to sort of be fixers and you are brokers right so you're not the main men but that, But
0: I think I think it's safe to say, Matt, the industry has made me great. Right, well, there you go. The years, yeah, yeah. And it's made a lot of people yeah. great. <laughs> well, that's it then. <laughs> and, not, and not just in that sense. And I think we, we've had several guests on who've spoken about this representative voice for agents. And I think it's a common thread that runs through it all. And hopefully we, we might see change at some point in the future. But that's a fingers crossed thing. As I mentioned in the intro, the Bosman mm. film mm-hmm. on BT Sport was was great. I find it absolutely fascinating to see how things panned out. And, of course, the guy at the centre of mm. it had a monumental impact on the football industry, and it it didn't turn out really no. to benefit him. In fact, it, it flipped the other way. Now, that signified a monumental change in football. What do you think has been the biggest story from an agent perspective, so far, and do you envisage anything in the future?
1: Well, I, I do think that Bosman ruling. I mean, it, for, for fans that are sort of relatively young, they, they they won't they won't get it. They won't get how monumental it, it was. But it but it really did change. It's, it's a classic case of unintended consequences as well. No one could have foreseen. You know, whether, certainly, the, the the legal team, certainly John Mark Bosman himself, could never have foreseen what would happen. So, just for anyone that doesn't know what this was you know he was a sort of journeyman Belgian player uh he you know being being relatively promising but you know didn't quite kick on um you know found himself sort of on the margins of a team wanted to move but this was a time where you know the clubs retained incredible and and looking back now ludicrous control over out of contract players you know you're out of contract you can go right you know what, what, what obligation do, do, do I owe you none right but but that wasn't the way it was back then and he was trying to move um to a French team I think he was just trying to, try to go across the border where there was a you know there was a job waiting for him and his existing team you know just wouldn't let him go they wanted they wanted a, they wanted a payment that, that you know I think anyone fair and rational looking at it now would go how on earth did they think they were justified to that but they were because that's the way it was you they, they retained you retained sort of the registration of a, of a player and um it, it took two or three years. It went through the courts, went all the way to the highest court in Europe, and um, not only did did that change. So we got the Bosman. You know the Bosman. You know, you end of a contract, you can go for a free transfer. Your previous employer is owed nothing, right? Genuine. Well, not even genuine free agency, but but a you know closer to free agency. But also, as a consequence of that rule, it changed the restrictions on the number of foreign players you could have because that was an absolute key part of the football landscape then and this was an application of eu law you know we were, you know, brits we've left right but it wasn't that long ago that you could go get a job in france or spain or belgium or wherever right and we were all in the same market and they couldn't those those countries couldn't impose restrictions against you you know if you wanted to go work in a bar or be a lawyer or whatever you know, once you sort of you know you know you as long as you're qualified you could do it right and that was the same for footballers there was there was absolutely no reason in law in eu law why a british an english player couldn't go play in belgium and vice versa right there should be no restrictions there should be no nationality based restrictions so once you change that though once you change those two things at the same time so Free agency, end of, end of a contract, you can go there is, for, for for a free transfer, right? Oh, that's interesting. You no, know, a big shift towards play power, a big shift towards in the contractual relationships between players and clubs. That's significant. And at the same time, no, you don't have to have only four foreigners or five foreigners or whatever it is. You could have as many as you like. Boom, the two things at once. Just it, it just suddenly. Big shift towards big TV market leagues because that's where the power, the money, they could now use their money to hoover up talent. And that that restriction on the number of foreigners you, you could use was a sort of break. It was a it enabled medium-sized and smaller markets to compete without that safety net, the explosion of the big five leagues, in particular the English league, and then giving players. A lot more contractual freedom it was like rocket fuel to that, and you went from let's say a sort of if you look at the winners of the European trophies, there was a sort of good geographic spread. I mean, the classic case, of course, is Ajax. Because it sort of happened around that time. A great Ajax team within two or three years was just broken up, and um, you know they just they just scattered at the time. The Syria was the biggest league. A lot of them went to Syria. You had the explosion of the Champions League at the same time. It Bosman just unleashed these kind of market forces that totally changed european football and you can just, you can look at bosman and you can track it all the way through to things like the european super league and just the dominance of the premier league now so that's the biggest story that's the biggest story of my lifetime in professional football and of course it's a massive story for agents because agents you know profited off that fueled it um, you know the rise of the super agent Uh, Just the 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 rise in 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 wages and transfer fees, so much of it can be traced back to Bosman. So it's unequivocally. I, 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 you know, you put me a lot on the spot. If you, I I can't really think of what would be second, you know, second or the third most important. I guess it would be something like the reaction to some of that is what we're talking about with the whole FIFA regulations. It's taken a long time. FIFA has, you know, chopped and changed about how it wants to deal with you guys and how it wants to regulate you, and it's now sort of almost decided, again, to try to regulate you and sort of curtail and curb some of those forces that were unleashed in the mid-90s by Bosman. Bosman changed everything.
0: That sounds like a set of Marvel, well, I won't say superhero movies, but Rise of the Super Agent, that's certainly Mm. one to consider. Um, You've mentioned it there, we're trying to limit our exposure and how much we discuss okay, FFAR and and no no however much we try to get away from it Matt we we just can't no. we have tried for weeks to get away but in your opinion from mm. those you've spoken to how effective do you think as it stands the current reforms
1: on FFAR will be I just don't know what do you guys think going on I'm I'm I don't know I mean we don't, we don't know from one week to no. the next. But I, I completely understand because I was at some of these sort of key moments. You know, where where um, Infantino, I think, was it twenty seventeen when he when he did his first speech about you know it was all off the back of um, of the Pogba deal, wasn't it? That 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 was a sort of a, a you know a pivotal moment. The kind of forty one million was it forty one million from that one deal? It just it did seem like this particularly egregious moment where almost everybody, probably apart from agents, was like, oh, right, hold on, that's excessive. Um, and then Infantino, when he came in, you know, it was I think it was 2017, it was one of his earlier congresses. I don't think it was 2016 because it was his first one. Um, right, that's it. I, I am going to do something about this. And if you think, if it was only two years, really, after FIFA had given up trying to do something about it. You know, it was like, oh, we're not going to bother regulating agents because it's just too complicated, so away you go. FIFA, within two years, was now sort of saying, oh, no, 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 we do actually need to regulate agents. Now, that was six years ago. And you all know better than me whether there has been a proper consultation. It looks like there's been a consultation, certainly the appearance of a consultation, because there has been redrafts and there have been uh, conferences. I've been to at least one of them. I have, you know, I've, I've been writing about these regulations for a while. So again, there is the appearance of consultation. I know some of your some of the people in your industry feel very strongly that that's all it was—the appearance of consultation. Yeah, you know, are they going to work? Uh, well, it depends. Nothing, nothing ever really works 100%, does it? In any in any sphere, are they going to make things a bit better? Yeah, probably bits of it. I think we've talked in the past about. Do you like any of it? And even the biggest critics of FIFA's regime say they like bits of it but that seems to be the low-hanging fruit bits of it as opposed to the sort of really meaty bits that fans are like if i go back to my answer a few answers ago about what is the thing that fans say about agents it's that taking money out of the game right The keep it being out as though there's an unfairness right it's those bits, it's the caps on how much you can earn, I think, are going to be the key. And if and if they do come in, if they are, if the ECJ or whoever else looks at this, whatever court looks at it, eventually decides, no, that's fine, that is fine. And yes, the governing bodies can do that to you. It is a proportionate and a reasonable thing for them to do because there is this stated aim that we all agree that professional sport is precious and it should be sustainable. Um, so if that eventually is allowed to happen well then it'd be the reaction this is this is just human nature right okay fine all right you've put you've imposed that regulation so how are we going to get around it in the same way that people don't follow the speed limits and, and and smoke and drink too much you know just human nature will then take over what will be the unintended consequences of this restriction on how much you guys can earn and will everyone just go oh right okay Well, we just have to be a bit more creative then aren't we
0: and will anything change and that's exactly it like we're recording this on the Wednesday Peter and I will probably hold off recording the update on the FFAR until Friday maybe even Saturday so that we've got it up to date because we've got the legal challenges going on we've got links to Germany we've got rule cases in England we've got arbitration in Scotland we've got um sorry Peter I'm stealing your thunder here for your <laughs> segment um we've got Australia rumored not to be able to enforce the cap based on legislation so it it very much is for everybody we don't know we simply don't know they're supposedly fully enforced now and have been at the time of recording for 10 days so we will see that creativity we'll we'll see the circumvention of various things such as the cap but going on to another story which you very much got your finger on the pulse of and something I know that you you hold dear is the subject of independent regulators oh, in yes. football. Yeah. And particularly in England, it's been spoken about for many years. And going back to the time when FIFA effectively, in their own terms, chose to abandon regulations on agents. And I will use the term abandon because that's what they said. Only recently they said it was deregulation. <laughs> From about that time... I was quite heavily involved in actually saying we do need regulation. We need effective regulation. And I ran a campaign on it. And there was quite a lot of people who threw things up at me, including those in in government, who said, oh, we can't get involved in rules laid down by Mm. FIFA because of government interference and restrictions on it. And it's maintained a bugbear for me. Mm. And I've written about the difference between political interference and government interference in football, but we seem to be seeing the the shoots of an independent football regulator in England. So a a two-pronged question, and Peter will laugh here because I'm nicking his two-pronged questions as well. How do you think FIFA may react to such a regulator? Mm -hmm. And looking at the white paper so far and the briefing documents from the uk Mm, government mm -hmm. agent matters seem to be a side issue with these proposals do you think they will become part of the regulators remit or possibly remain a side issue
1: so the first bit first I, i think there's a quick answer here fifa it's nothing to do with them to be honest it really it really isn't it's just a complete red herring and thrown up by uh mainly opponents of of this idea there's there's loads of football markets where there is a football financial regulator, France, the DNCG, right? There's, there's, And there's plenty of others. You know, in Belgium, they're very, they intervene. They take people's licenses away. You see that in Scandinavia. Germany, there's quite heavy, um, you know, regulation on the sort of finances of football clubs. So no, um, wh- where FIFA get annoyed is where prime ministers and sports ministers start removing heads of, heads of FAs and start sort of, you know, bossing people around. Also, FIFA is a bit of a bully, to be honest. It it only ever takes on small football associations where, I don't know, there might be a really egregious case of mismanagement or cronyism. The idea that FIFA staunchly fights political interference in football is a nonsense, where in whole swathes of the world, everything is dictated by... single party or a single person you know so that it's just it's just ridiculous it's just a ridiculous concept um fifa will not uh, to have anything particular to say about uh the independent football regulator that that is coming that is absolutely coming to english football you know there's 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 arguments to be had around details and 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 we're, we're having it but fifa doesn't have anything to do with this it really doesn't so you're right agents are not really mentioned at the moment. And if you think about why, it's because we we'll, we do want a light touch regulator, partly for the reasons I was just saying. The FIFA, you know, we don't be, we have a governing body, and we, you know, there are certain certain responsibilities that the FA has, and there's a Premier League is a perfectly decent competition organizer that that has an awful lot of power as well. So we don't need someone to massively interfere, if you like, in in you know the regulations of how league structures and how clubs should treat each other. Um, And there's sort of European bodies as well. So there is a sort of framework, a working framework. The regulator is supposed to sort of fix problems that have been identified by pretty much everybody around sustainability of the industry going down the pyramid. The things that kind of cause this to happen, don't forget this is a conservative government that's doing that. Conservatives, right? Don't normally like regulation. It, it was the failure of a few clubs Barry Macclesfield this sort of sense that money wasn't trickling down that clubs were just simply not sustainable so that that was a that was one and then the second bit was really the 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 attempt to, to form a European super League which created this big shock at the sort of top of the pyramid um those were the sort of the, and then and then you know again covid coming along and stressing the entire industry so it's around sustainability it's around sort of top-end governance um and that and that's it and and, you know i was talking about you know that the investigation into scunthorpe around the owners and directors test there are certain bits of the football governance if you like high that um football itself hasn't done well because it's riven with self-interest that's the i mean you talk about finding getting agents to agree 92 football clubs in england there are 92 different opinions and they change as they go up and down the you know what they thought last year They'll forget that if they get promoted or relegated, they'll have a different set of needs and demands, and they'll they'll you know was the old joke about you know if you don't like my principles, it's okay, I can you know find some others. I mean, I I, I come across that all the time. um It doesn't have to be you know top down. Having some you know a framework with a independent regulator that has some backstop powers, just to make sure that we're getting the right type of owners. There are some. There are some sort of clear um, set of standards about what we want. Um, a, a independent third party view of how finance finances, the, the wealth in the English game, which is clearly there, is spread and, is, and, is, and does trickle down. And that those clubs at the bottom, which are absolutely vital for their local communities, but also for the health of the entire pyramid. You know, what is it that makes English football special? It is the depth of our pyramid that is our usp so is the base healthy those are the bits that are I think important now agents at the moment haven't come into it yet might they i don't know they may be because there are certain you know how how agents are remunerated and how you treat them is very much part of any kind of ffp conversation i know we're going for a bit of a tangent here but uefa talking about sort of squad cost and and you know counting spend on agent fees as part of a football club's expenditure and how it, so so yes yeah agents at some point will have to come into the consideration i just don't think the independent regulator needs to take that role there are you know fifa's doing something right now as you as you as you well know you know the fa has a role there already There are, you know, FFP rules, you know, Premier League FFP rules, UEFA FFP rules. It feels like there's enough. There's enough already looking at you without the independent regulator also getting involved. The independent regulator, I think, is about sustainability and sort of fairness and about getting the right kind of ownership around our clubs.
2: I just want to focus on... international business. Basically, agents now operate internationally with this new license. I think the exam was held in about 150 plus countries, the latest FIFA exam. It's a global landscape now with various regulations and cultures in different parts of the world. Looking ahead, what do you foresee as the most significant trends or shifts in the football agent industry in the next few years? And how do you think this will affect the broader football ecosystem worldwide? Taking into account Obviously, what's happening in Saudi Arabia as well? Yeah. MLS, we're seeing a lot of movements in other countries.
1: What do you see in terms of trends and shifts in the next few years? Well, well, you, well, you mentioned one, a big one, which is going to sort of, I think, impact anyone that works in the football industry. It's already doing it, but it's going to, I think, have an even bigger say going forward. It's just, it's just Saudi Arabia and the rise. You know, their their ambitions for sport, their ambitions for football in particular, the the rise and development of that league. So that's one that's one's gonna have a big impact. Um, and then as that league develops and becomes a, a more significant player, how you then deal with it from a financial fair play point of view, you know, do, th- does financial fair play work if there are these big actors outside it that can have a skewing impact on it? Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, conspiracy theory stuff. I mean, th- th- that 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 the perception of that is real you know is there. But even just sort of inadvertently even just sort of saudi arabia wanting to buy five players that's going to have a big impact um on on european football teams so that's 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 something to kind of keep an eye on so you know saudi probably does does it get past if you like the chinese super league stage and become a significant player going forward does it become a sort of genuine top 10 global league and possibly a top five global league at some point so that's something. And then MLS as well. MLS as well. You know, to, so it's just to keep a light, to keep an eye on those leagues that are outside the tent at the moment. I think a more local issue for me. I can't comment on whether this is the global issue. You know, you were asking for more global trends, but certainly one for me that I'm interested in is just the tax status of what you guys do. That's something that's coming up. Quite a lot. I haven't really had a chance to write about it yet. I've written about it in the past, but I haven't done anything on it for a few years. But you know, I'm aware that HMRC, our tax authorities, are very much looking at your industry and your the relationship you have with players and how that service should be treated by the tax authorities. So I think that's going to be intriguing. You know, in the past, football clubs have have sort of tended to foot that bill, haven't they? That kind of you know, we'll we'll pay for your agent. Well, well, why? You know, who 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 should pay you know who's providing the service there who's the beneficiary of that service and if the beneficiary of that service is the player well that's clearly the the player should pay the tax on that and it's a it's a a, you know it's a a benefit in kind it should be taxed accordingly so i think these are things that are going to be interesting for the next couple of years possibly more interesting even these these fifa regulations once the dust settles and you know people get their heads around it if the tax authorities are going to sort of take a fresh look at your industry i think that's that's going to be interesting that's an
2: interesting point because I think FIFA, in terms of the agent fees, wants to see transparency and there's There's obviously that push in a couple of years, a clearinghouse coming to be taking care of the fees. In terms of that transparency, and obviously that tax goes into that area because now with the new regs, the players have to pretty much pay the agent with exception if you're acting on behalf of a club, whether it's a selling club or engaging club, but pretty much... The onus is now on players to pay the agents, so that's going to be very, very interesting. I just want to pivot a little bit to women's football, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how do you perceive the role and influence of agents in the, what we call, burgeoning women's football industry? Obviously, here in Australia and New Zealand, we had the Women's World Cup and a very successful tournament, great profile, great advertisement for the sport, and just really genuine fantastic events and just showcased all the talent that's out there in Women's football what unique challenges and opportunities do you think this presents in terms of women's football and the role and influence of agents in this space
1: yeah well it's just a whole new industry isn't it it's a whole new sort of segment for you for you and for the, for the whole for all of us right so it, it reminds me of I used to write about other sports. I've, I've been almost exclusively football for the last few years. But when I was at the BBC and and the Press Association, I used to write about rugby, cricket, all sorts, right? And in those industries, there are agents, right? But there are but there are fewer of them, and they tend to sort of um, earn a bit less, have a little a little bit less. They certainly have less profile. Uh, I cited cycling as well. And there, there are cycling agents. But they don't they don't do transfers in those in those sports, not really. They wait for their contracts to finish, and then it is it's a a much more, if you like, purer model, right? It it is contract, contract, contract. Okay, I'm now out. Where am I going to go next? And okay, and the agent then is very clearly working for the for the athlete, and the job is to sort of go off and find my client the best possible job I can find them. Right. And that might be the best team, the best situation, the best pathway to becoming the player they want to be. You know, in cycling, it could be the best place for me to win a race because the key thing is to win races. You know, that's what brings the money and the sponsors. Um, You know, in in, in cricket or foot rugby, it could be, you know, I wanted to go to Japan or France because that's where, you know, um, there's bigger pay there. Uh, You know, there's a World Cup coming, it's a good place to be. I mean, these are all the conversations I remember with agents. Uh, in those sports at that time, it just seemed to be a lot more like agency, right? I'm actually one providing a service to my client. My client has a job in six months, that job is going to finish and I need to find them a new job. And there are choices and options and I'm going to give my client the, the options they have. My client is going to tell me the kind of thing I'm interested in and where I might want to go and where I definitely don't want to go, it just seemed to me, right. This I can get my head around this. This this makes complete sense. Now maybe women's football, where it is as you say a new industry, the, the sums of money are not quite as big yet. Um, there's an opportunity here for sort of the football agency world to kind of reset a bit and just go back to sort of like old fashioned consulting and agency and. You know, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm being a bit naive and optimistic there, and very quickly it will go exactly the same way as men's football. I don't know, but it, it does seem to me, you're, you're right, it is a completely new opportunity, Well, completely new, but it's, a, it's an exciting new space. Um, progress is obvious, and I think, I, I suspect it's probably a slightly happier, cleaner place at the moment. Um, whether it stays that way, I don't know.
0: I think reflecting back on episode five that we did and we had Maria Carson decheco who focuses solely on women's football and agency in the women's game, I think we highlighted that it is an opportunity to reset, to start with a clean slate, to even learn from the errors from the men's game uh, and move forward. And talking about other sports, I can certainly concur with that having worked in sports as an agent from taekwondo to swimming it very much is more the passion to be involved in the sport and to see people evolve and succeed than it is for the money um particularly from a lot of the athletics representation yeah. of which that
2: pretty much you, you probably operate at a lost a lot of the time <laughs> well, okay is there any article in the athletic written by yourself or mm. one of your colleagues focusing on agents and all player deals
1: or transfer deals that our listeners should like look out for? Well, so yeah, like I say, the transfer stuff is is almost constant, but we're we're, out, we're outside of a window for the main league we follow, the Premier League. So, you know, come the next window, I if if it's if it's transfer stuff is your is your thing. Then my colleague David Ornstein is is, is one of the the, the the gurus. Another colleague of mine, Dan Sheldon, so just just look at some Dan, Dan Sheldon pieces. He's been writing an awful lot on the FIFA regulations and the Ferrari over the exams and the the, the the mess and the nonsense of that. So Dan Sheldon has done like a series of good pieces on that. Um, but yeah, so those, I'd steer your listeners to those two. So Dan for more FIFA regulation exam stuff, David, honestly, if they don't already follow him, he's our, he's our goat on transfers.
0: And of course, when you've finished listening to the agent's angle podcast, you've also got the athletic podcast.
1: No, we've got a few. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a daily, there's one in the morning that's sort of bite sized, which is pretty good doing quite well. And there's a sort of a longer one that they do, I think three or four times a week. So, yeah. Brilliant.
0: Just to finish, Matt, and I don't know whether you want to answer this question as with your journalist hat on or with your football fans hat on, maybe both. If you had one wish relating to the football agents industry, what would it be?
1: Oh, well, I'll try a bit of both then. So I suppose from a a journalist point of view, it would be more more transparency and a sort of kind of... um, and an improvement in standards but I'd say that about my own industry I'd say that about directors of football or managers or owners right I, I think I think the industry as a, in general has tolerated we've allowed it to tolerate bad practice for, for way too long be it you know just on on customer service match their experience or, or hiring and firing of managers, HR, you, you name it, right? You, we can, it just, it's just not been as good and as professional as it should be. And some of that is because there hadn't been the scrutiny on it before, hadn't been the money, hadn't been as important, it hadn't been considered as important as business or politics and of course it's not it's, you know it's the old gag is it's the old joke it's, it's the it's the most important of the least important things but the bottom line is the sports sport as an industry as a global industry is really big now and is really important and we can see you know i mentioned saudi arabia a moment ago we can see governments have been using sport for very political ends you know huge big you know strategic national projects so sport is important uh, it's important to people we love it but it's also important it's genuinely important, you know. It's there, there are there are jobs tied up to it, um, you know, soft power, you know, regeneration of diversification of economies and stuff. So we should treat it more seriously. So that means a high improving standards, you know, more transparency, more accountability, better people, better qualified people. Now that's that's what I would like. But I, I'm not. Pick, I don't want to sound like I'm sort of picking on agents. That's a more sort of general point about the, the type of work that we should expect from the people that work in the sports industry it should just be better and 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 you make things better by sharing best practice and, and being accountable and transparent so that that would be sort of a very sort of general point point. and i think from a fan i, I th- this this might annoy some of your listeners i mean i think there is a sort of sense and it must come from somewhere i don't think it's just a sort of you know a cliche or a, you know where's this come from like some sort of conspiracy against agents there is this sense that some agents have been greedy and aren't providing much of a service and are taking money out of the game. Now I know that's sort of a kind of a bit of a nebulous concept and, you know, aren't aren't agents, aren't football journalists taking money out of the game? Well, yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe we all are right, but it's the sort of disproportionate element to it. And what's the value that you bring? You know what? Yes. An agent doing a good job for a young player, keeping them out of that bad experience or, or successfully getting them out of that failing team or that manager that didn't recognize them or was misusing them and getting them on the right path again, or don't take that contract because it, you know, you'll be there too long. Take this one, you know, playing time. Don't chase the money straight away. You know, lots of, there are lots of examples where an agent can genuinely add value for their client, but for, for the bigger picture, right? For, if, if we want to watch good football, fair football, an agent has a role. It's just I think there has been. Uh, I suppose it's because of my privileged position as a journalist. I'm just aware of some stories where I'm just like, Jesus, a, a, an agent earned how much and they did they did what? Sorry, I don't want to. There, there's there's one that, that crossed my desk about a month or so ago, where it just sort of summed, it summed up the worst of your industry for me. It was a, it was an agent who was angry and and he's, he's actually I can't sort of reveal too many details because I think it's a live case that he had provided some advice to a club chairman about a player. And the club chairman, and it was a series of WhatsApp messages had gone. Yeah, yeah, all right. Okay. Thanks, 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 thanks. I'll, I'll I'll mention that to our director of football. And it and it read to me as a neutral that this guy, the owner, the, the chairman, was being polite, was not fobbing this guy off, was just being polite. And probably knew for you know, oh yeah, of course I'll tell our our data, our director of football, our scouts about this player. You know, of course they they know this player. You know, you, you Anyone that watches matches that they know this player's good, you know, just sort of was being polite. And then, you know, two, three months later, said club moves for for said player. And the agent is up in arms going, well, hold on a minute. I I, I played a role in that transfer. And you're like, well, OK, that's one reading of those WhatsApp messages. But another reading is that guy was just being polite, literally just being polite, and was, was, was fobbing you off. And this guy wants some ludicrous amount of money. I was thinking, you've done less work on this transfer than I do on a typical story, and you want a six-figure sum. This, 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 this is this is nonsense. And you are you know, you're not helping your industry. I think so in look, that, that case,
0: thing. if that's the case, there'd be a lot of scouts um, putting forward a hell of a lot of claims going back many many years. Yeah,
1: yeah. was. so look, I've picked, ai picked a you know again a sort of. You know, bad cases don't make good law. That was a, that was. A, it's just one that's crossed my desk, and um, yeah, again, I shouldn't tie you all with the same brush to court because I wouldn't want I wouldn't want people to tar me with you know if, oh, I read some nonsense in the in the mail or the Sun the other day. You're you're all rubbish. You all make stuff up. And it's like well, you know, sometimes, or <laughs> more often than not, sometimes we're told something that we then didn't check out and we ran with it because we were under pressure for time or you know maybe maybe we shouldn't have run that that one because it it, it wasn't a great piece of info but that's what it is 99 times out of 100 and and in in your line of work you know one agent trying their luck on a deal they had very little to do is not fair and indicative of what the work of most of you do so i i don't know you know i just think i think if we could all just be a bit more reasonable about the demands we make and the amount of money we should earn and the value that we add I think if we were more
0: realistic, it would be a better place. Uh, Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for a fresh perspective on the agent side of the industry and football as a whole. And hopefully we'll catch up in the not-too-distant future.
1: Yeah, lovely talking to you.
0: And you, Matt. Take care. We hope that you enjoyed that interview with Matt Slater. And I think you will agree it was not only an enlightening insight into a view of the football agent's world from the perspective of an experienced sports journalist, but also provided valuable insights and opinions into the football world, past, present, and future. If you enjoyed this interview and haven't listened to episode 15, then please go back and have a listen. Please remember to subscribe to The Agent's Angle, give the episode and podcast a positive rating and review whilst also recommending the podcast to your friends and associates. We aim to bring you yet more interesting insights and interviews in the future. So until next time, take care and thanks for listening. The purpose of the Agents' Angle podcast is to provide news, information and facilitate discussion on regulatory matters, policies, business trends and issues affecting football agents worldwide. The opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should never be considered legal or professional advice. Furthermore, The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the programme does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you for listening.